Okay, hello everybody. My name is CJ. You guys already know that. Uh, the five of you that actually listen and or watch, depending on what you're on, either YouTube or the podcast. Um, with me today I have, do you want to go by Hooli? Yep. Okay, so um, would you like to introduce yourself, Hooli? Sure. My name is Hooli. Um, I am one of the project leads for Heroes and Hooligans. We are a live play um, TTRPG space community. Um, we play D&D and Fate Core and a few other things on our channel um, several nights a week and also on weekends. Um, we do also um, are involved in charity fundraising for several different projects and things like that in the Bowling um, for Charity space as well as um, other things. So yeah, that's that's me. I am Julian. I'm heroes and hooligans. <laughs> yeah, um, so I still can't wrap my head around how you found people to play so often. That that kills me, honestly. Uh, this is my, let's see, fifth attempt at making a game and, uh, <laughs> you know, to stream or podcast or whatever. <laughs> and uh, season one, everyone but one of my players... Uh, is no longer with us and um so steve the only holdover from season one is now joined by the rest of our players and they can't play but once a month so i don't i don't understand how you do it (laughs) i will say well i i guess i have been lucky in the aspect of having access to resources um in the community where I'm able to, you know, pull people and players. Um, my entire D&D career has solely been online. I've played tabletop in person um, two times, well, once as a player and once as a DM. Um, so I guess when my entire D&D career and DMing career has been online, it's a little different than somebody maybe who did more in person or didn't start out in the kind of like D&D setting that I did. And so it's just, I, I got lucky really, honestly, it's not because I'm extraordinary or anything of the sort. It's just, uh, the way the dice fell, I suppose you could say for lack of a better term. (laughs) I don't know. I'd have to, uh, interview all of your players and see if that's true. See if it's all pure luck. (laughs) But I don't think so. Uh, you, you can't keep a group going if it's all luck, you know? People have to like you. <laughs> I don't know. Our community is pretty good. Um, our community, well, it's pretty good. Pretty great, I think, actually. But it's not just me. There's other DMs on the channel. And we um, do something a little special, I think, at Heroes and Hooligans that I think a lot of people don't have access to or haven't thought about doing. And we use... Um, guest stars in our live play to play as our NPCs and I think that really ups our um, like our I guess we you could put it as a production value I guess that's part of like the fun and what keeps people around is they never know what's gonna pop on screen when we're streaming as far as people playing NPCs because they can't see that stuff backstage like I can and 
the even better part is I never know what these NPCs are going to say because I'll just be like, so this is the parts that I have active this week. Pick it if you want it. Don't if you don't. And here's the information that those things know. Um, and go for it from there. And they just, each individual takes that and runs with it. And some of our NPCs have killed the rest of us, myself included, in the session as far as how the role-playing went. And it was, it's been pretty awesome. So I think it's more the community itself that stays awesome rather than just me staying awesome. Uh, I don't know. Um, I feel like you guys are special regardless because people aren't going to want to keep coming. Because that's the whole thing with T&D, um, our channel. I, when I started like a year ago, it was solely based on uh, the TTRPG group on Twitter. And literally anyone can come and join. Um, mm -hmm. you, that's, that's the reason I named it that, was for anyone on Twitter to just, you know, come in, hang out, do either interviews or the NPCs. Um, that's kind of my first thing when I ask everyone. It's like, hey, so you want to come play? Do you want to do one shot? Do you want to be a reoccurring character? Yada, yada, yada. Um, so I don't know. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, I, I personally can just never find... I can find a bunch of people to do, like, little one-shots here and there. But that is yeah. so hard to build an entire thing off of just one shots you know so to find strict players that can play weekly in is just pulling teeth for me <laughs> um, i get it i do i promise <laughs> we uh let me think we have been heroes and hooligans for about a year a little over a year now um and even before that we were online and playing but i think i mean we still struggle right like we still have our own struggles of getting people even if they have a weekly commitment like you know you never know in in the real world what's going to happen and so like if you have a group of five people like almost every week i feel like we have somebody that's like hey i have something in one of my sessions every week it's like hey i have something why i have to miss like, we still have people that miss with a weekly commitment, you know, because a weekly commitment is still a lot. That's 52 weeks in a year that you have 52 days of commitment back to back to back to back to back. And that's only if you're playing one night. I have people that play on two of my nights and people that play on some of my nights. And then they also NPC on my other nights. Like, some of these people have crazy levels of commitment and some of them are just like, yeah, I'll show up um, when I can. And then if I don't, then I don't. And I'm just like, yeah, that's fine. See? I don't know. It's a lot of flexibility and uh, working together, but so, it's not been easy and it's been definitely a task. No. Yeah. I can, I can definitely understand that, especially with multiple games going. It just, it sounds like the life. Um, but I also understand that it could be a huge headache. Now, I haven't um, sat down and listened yet to your. Is it, is it only on YouTube or is it also a podcast? No, we have. Um, so we play live on our Twitch, mm -hmm. um, VOD on our YouTube, and then we do have a podcast RSS feed as well. So we're on. We have Apple, Amazon, Spotify. Google Music. Um, I think we're on right around thirty-five-ish 
podcasting platform. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I know we're on. I started ours on Anchor, and that just like sent it out to all the ones connected to Anchor, and then I also added mm-hmm. it to like iHeart, I think. Yep, we're on iHeartRadio as well as Pandora and a few others. There's we have a pretty long list of where we are located. Apple for sure because I download my own podcast to listen to. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, so. So with your weekly games, right, and you mm-hmm. said you have multiple weekly games, so with all of your games, do you uh, you just let people sit out and you just keep going with the game? That doesn't affect your story or anything? It just depends, right? Like, so if I have enough time ahead of time to plan out that they're not going to be there, then it's just assumed that that character is... Um, in the background quietly with the party as things happen, right? Um, I try to not write that character into that week's story or make sure that there's nothing that they are super dependent on, right? We do have this um, sort of thing that we do if we still want to play, but we don't have enough people to actually play, and we call it a fireside. And it's essentially like the characters are sitting around a fire, a campfire, and they're having a role play session where they're talking to each other about things that have gone over or gone on in the campaign, things like that. They're having interactions with each other, learning more, building um, inter-party relationships up. But what it actually allows for is a campaign recap from the player's character's perspective instead of me at the beginning of every show spouting off, you know, my DM perspective, I wrote the story. I know what's going to happen. Right. So it's like, it's a nice refreshing point of view on what's happening in the campaign to hear it from the characters mouths as they converse amongst each other and have this sort of like, you know, fireside chat where they're eating, you know, whatever they're eating for the night, drinking their tea and, resting up before they go, you know, on their next adventure or start the next day, whatever have you. So do you not make them, like, uh, go through combat scenarios and stuff while they're doing your firesides? No, absolutely not, no, because usually when we have a fireside, it's because we're missing more than one person. So, um, or the DM is missing because we've had firesides on the channel where the DM wasn't able to make it because of a last minute emergency, but everybody else still wanted to play. So all of the players loaded in and sat around and conversed and talked and things like that. So we don't do combat in those sessions because it's hard to balance combat for your party when you have something written for five or six players and you have two or three there. It's mostly used for like... intimate moments between characters, right? Like when they're actually sitting there getting to know each other, because I feel like one of the main things that I've noticed as an online DM is because we're fitting into a two hour time block, right? You have, you come into it as the DM with a schedule in your head. Obviously it's D and D players um, go the exact opposite of what you schedule them to go for. So it doesn't usually work out that way, but we're still in a two hour time block. So a lot of times we don't have the, okay, you're traveling for three days. What kind of discussions are you having as you're traveling? Things like that. We don't have a lot of that. It's like, okay, we're point A to point B. This is what's happening. So the fireside chats really allow for that like extra um, role playing and 
party building that they don't get in session. That's pretty awesome. Um, it's really nice to hear that you have a bunch of players that will actually sit, sit down and, and actually role play without any combat or getting bored or getting frustrated. That's uh, I I know, I know I'm talking to the D and D community. Uh, well, that's who they're listening to. Uh, you know, that's who's listening mostly. But uh, no matter what anyone says, uh, the general population I found, um, once you start getting like rules lawyers and stuff, like they don't, they want to just go 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 go. It's like they're always impatient with me, um, and not just with me. Like uh, even when I was a player, like I've always found that people are always antsy. Like whether I was playing in person or online, um, so it's like they always want to just go, and they don't want to really. Like they role play. Don't get me wrong. They role play, but they won't sit down and talk for two hours as their character to the other players. That's that sounds super nice. I will say. Well, I guess the one thing is right. Like I am very upfront as a DM. Whenever I pull my parties together, I am not a combat heavy DM. So if you are a dungeon crawly player who wants to grind out and just kill shit, hack and slash all the time, my table's not for you. If you're a min-maxer who just wants to rush through everything and doesn't give two shits and a fuck about party dynamics, my channel is like, or my, my table is not for you. Like I'm very, very clear in my DM style about like, this is how I build my uh, my encounters, how I build my campaign. I always tell them, like, I'm an 80-20 DM. I'm 80% role play, puzzles, um, traps, and skill checks, and things like that, and 20% combat. And I say 20% combat if I'm being generous and leaning on the heavy side. I'm not a combat-driven DM at all, because to me, right, like... <clears throat> min-maxing isn't fun. I I don't think power-leveling characters is fun as a player, let alone as a DM. Like, it, I don't think that it takes consideration for the other players at the table whenever you have players come, come in like that. I don't think that those kind of players take consideration for the person who spends weeks at a time preparing adventures and things and writing campaigns to have people come in and enjoy. I just don't find heavy combat personally fun i know there are people that like to play like that i i don't have anything against them for that like everybody has their different kind of play style mine personally isn't that way so if they don't play that they're not interested in my style of a game it's just easier that they don't come to my table because they're going to be so bored if they want hack and slash because your character right like when you look at a dnd character sheet you have a set of skills that's like, what, 21 skills on there? Combat, you have standard weapons and uh, the regular list of spells you can pick from for whatever class is like. Anybody can roll dice. Anybody can add, you know, numbers together and say, I hit this person in the face with an Eldritch Blast or with my axe, whatever it is, right? But each character's skills are different, right? Like... Some people have high animal handling. Some people have a high religion. Some people have a high stealth. Some people are super wisdom-based characters. Some of them are super charisma-based characters. I want to see players use those skills for something other than 
blowing stuff up and killing people. And so that's how I build my games. I build them with a lot of puzzles, with a lot of social interaction, uh, with a lot of skill checks and saves and things like that. Do I give them combat? I would say one in every four sessions they get combat. Hey, that sounds pretty awesome to me. Uh, if I had found about, out about your game whenever you started, I would 100% have been a player, at least in one of them. I am huge on role playing, and I am, I am absolutely against min maxers myself. I, uh, I always want people to role play more, uh, but it's, it's like a weird fine line that I'm like I don't want to force anyone to do something they're not comfortable with because like some people don't. How do I put this? They don't really want full combat all the time. They just have a hard time with role playing. Um, I've, that's what I found at least. And, uh, so it's like a weird back and forth. Um, I can ask if I am free Wednesday. And uh, I appreciate you not trying to cut me off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but, um, yeah, how do I, I'm trying to think of how to put this. So it's not like, like I'm trying to not sound rude. Not to you, but I'm saying to, like, regular D&D players in general, like, the whole vast majority. Um, they, uh, everyone that I've met or talked to, I, I'm also a, a big uh, proponent of helping people learn. So I guess that's where most of my problem lies. And I've, I've been trying to teach more people how to play and to get them into D&D rather than to uh, join groups or have, have people at my table that, are like well versed in D anD D, or any other TTRPG for that matter. So I guess that might be whenever, my problem. I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna say whenever I was doing the whole like teaching people how to play, I had the same thing: high turnover. Right. Um, my my D anD D stuff, like I said, started online. I started DMing in West March style servers. So it was, even if people said they would have like a weekly commitment, they would play one session, play two sessions, not show up, or they would do something, get their character to die or piss off the entire party and not show up. It was a very, very high turnover at that point. So I understand like the working with the new, the new players and things, absolutely admirable because be, working with somebody and trying to teach them how to understand D and D is one thing but when you're trying to teach people to play D, &D online it's a whole nother thing because you don't have the same social cues that you would have sitting at a table you don't have the ability to put you know the handouts in the book in front of somebody and physically you know finger point walk them through things show them how to build stuff explain spell cards like teaching people how to play D, &D isn't easy and teaching them how to play online also isn't easy oh yeah for sure uh it's not easy teaching people in general especially if they've never even played a video game before and they're like oh yeah let's try this out i like reading like <laughs> uh, there's a lot more to it <laughs> a lot there's um, a lot to it uh, yeah it's it well like uh for season one for instance um for tnd it's not on the youtube it's it's only on the podcast version which i, I should probably go back and try to add it to the youtube <laughs> there's only a couple episodes it got real frustrating real fast but uh Season one, we had one, two, 
We had two advanced players, like people who've been playing for like ten plus years since like I think since third edition. Um, and then we had Steve who had played a little bit before with me. And then we had a um, another person who I believe had played a little bit. So it wasn't like I had a bunch of new players last season. Um, I was just mainly trying to get, you know, people in every session that we played. And it just became a hassle. Um, and my DM style doesn't exactly match up with everyone. Uh, like, one of my other friends, he really is into the rules. Like, not so much... He, he, like, takes the rules to another level kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm very loosey. Mm -hmm. Like, the rules to me are, like, boundaries. Like, hey, hey I, don't, I don't know what to call what you just did, so let's, let's advise the rules. Other than that, I kind of go with rule of cool. Like, I'm, you're just rolling D20s in my game, and whether or not it's <laughs> you should be doing it is a different question, you know, if you're consulting the D&D rulebook. But it's more of, like, oh, that sounds awesome, or... No, that's ridiculous. You can't do that. You know, kind of thing. Um, I don't. I don't really think it. I'm not a big proponent of like strictly making people. You know, follow those guidelines. I know they're there, and I I know most of them for the you know off the top of my head for the most part. If I need to consult something, but I I'm just not a fan of the walls. <laughs> if that makes sense, like I try no, to enforce the role playing as much as possible. I very much, one of the first things that I say when I sit down for like a session zero and I start playing with people that haven't played with me before and to remind people they have, like whenever we're sitting down, one of the very first things that I say is, I don't know the rules and I don't care about the rules. Does that mean I actually don't know the rules? No, no, it doesn't. It, I have read the DMG, but the G DMG very clearly states to you in it that it is a set of guidelines it is not a full set of rules and <laughs> it's a game that's meant to be played <laughs> yeah it me it's meant to be whatever you want it to be right so i always tell my players i don't know the rules i don't care what they say like if you come to me in a session and say to me on page 279 it says this i'm gonna say oh that's great <laughs> like, that's not my call though <laughs> that, yeah like that's great like i I don't have that at my tables where I get rules lawyered because it's something that I very quickly have always nipped in the butt in like session zero. I'm like, don't rules lawyer me because that that's not how we play here. Like if I make a call that you have an issue with, by all means, I am a DM. I am a human, right? Like I am a DM that says we make mistakes. Let's talk about it. I made this mistake. Let's retcon it. Let's work around it. Let's fix it. Like I'm very much willing to fix it, but don't, hold the table up in the middle of session to slap the rules at me. Like, let's talk no. about it afterwards. Yeah, keep going. Say, hey, <laughs> this call this call was a little weird to me. Let's talk about it. I have no problem um, correcting mistakes that I've made. Like I said, I am a human. And I always say as well, like, I might be the DM, but the DM is a player at the table too, right? I'm playing everything you're not. I'm playing the world. So your character's in the world and I'm playing the rest of the world. We're all playing together. It's a collaborative storytelling role-playing game. So yeah. I'm playing too. Players make mistakes. So do DMs, right? Like I don't, I don't jive with rules lawyering as a player or as a DM. Like it's just not my jam. And if I'm playing at a table and somebody's like smashing the DM being like, 
hey, you you broke the rules. I'm immediately irritated with that player in my party. Like, did you really just, like, do that? Like, did you really just tell the person who spends their free time to make your life entertaining in your free time that they broke the rules? Like, is that is that what we're doing here? Like, not, that's how we're... That's, that's how... <laughs> yeah, no, right. Like, it's not a tournament. We're not playing um, league or anything like that. Like, bro, we're playing with our buddies. Like, don't be like that, right? Like, And I think a lot of times people forget that. You're playing at a table with a group of your friends. None of us are Matt Mercer. We're not perfect. We're not professionals, like... Even if we are in a professional setting, right? Like we have our own channels, we have our own communities, you know, we have our podcasts and things like that. Like we're not paid professionals. Nobody took us to college and said, this is how you be a DM that is online and has an online D&D community. There's no school for that. Like we're, we're self-taught, we're human, right? Like, and I think the community oftentimes forgets that and I can't say that it's just the player's fault. I think there are a lot of um, old school, older generational DMs that have played like DM versus player for so long oh my God. that the, the community is so set in the mind frame of players versus DM that they don't think about that the DMs are humans too. Yeah. They, and it's unfortunate. That's what I like to call it. They think of us as, like, the game, like, you know? And they're trying to yeah, beat the game. Yeah, like, right. I'm not a game to beat. I'm a person, and I'm trying to go along with the story that you're you're laying out in front of me. Like, yeah, I made the, the overarching story, but you guys are messing it up left and right, so let's <laughs> stop, stop throwing rules at me. <laughs> right. Like, just stop. Stop throwing rules. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm different, I guess, because I am a new age DM, right? Like I came into um, the second generation of DMs, which is when DMing became a huge online thing. Like the original generation of DMing is, is at the table, right? Like that's the old school tapped out method. It's fun playing at a table. I'm not saying anything against it, but that's past times D&D because the world has changed COVID happened, everything got shut down, you couldn't do anything in the real world, and that's where the second generation of people who played tabletop came from. We had, like, the big boom of people wanting to play when Critical Role got really big, and then you had, like, the COVID, where people are like, I need something to do with my time, oh, I can play D&D online just like these guys do, so then you had that huge boom of people come through, and then you're in now, like, this whole new phase of people, Vox Machina, came out and now it's like these whole new set of people that's like oh my gosh D&D turned into a show we're gonna we want to learn to play so it's like we have like these booms through like the society right that caused the new generations to come in but like when you think about it how many of those people stay and how many of those people actually continue with the community and carry the community through as opposed to making it like a pop culture fad right yeah, I mean, uh, like, I, I remember the f- two big booms from when I started DMing. Um, and the only reason I started DMing really was because I could not find any groups to join. Because I honestly miss being a player so much. Like, I, I have a bard that I play that is my favorite thing in the world. 
And, uh... Oh, that's a question for you. You're a DM. I'm sure you've been a player. What's your go-to mm -hmm. class? Um, when I first started playing D&D, my go-to class was Rangers and Rogues. <clears throat> because they're so very similar, really. Edgelord. Um, that's... That's what I played a lot of because it was easy. <laughs> yeah, and I'm an edgelord, yeah. In the very beginning, like, that was what was easy. And um, my original D&D character came from a character that I made in Neverwinter, the D&D video game. Mm -hmm. That's because that's where I really got into playing D&D was playing Neverwinter. Weird, I know, backwards. But that so that's what I played in the game. So that's what I played when I started learning to play tabletop. Once I got more familiar with things, learned about how spells work and things like that, my go-to race and class now are changeling sorcerers. Nice. Yeah. Um. That's that's a that's a pretty good dang class and race. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I had I had a what was he? He was uh I can't remember his race, but I named <laughs> he was a sorcerer and I named him Cthulhu Sun. <laughs> because, <laughs> like, his name was just Cthu, and then his last name was Lusun, you know? Uh, <laughs> like, the old school way of naming people. And that was because I multiclassed with uh, Warlock. So, I, you know, I respect I respect the Sorcerer build. Um, I multiclass into Warlock a lot, because Sorcerer Warlock multiclasses are literally god tier, right? Like, uh, you're able to put... It is because Sorcerer is my favorite. Ma I know Wizards are super powerful. Like, I get that. But Sorcerer's, like, charisma-based casting is phenomenal. Sorcery points, phenomenal. Like, mm -hmm. the problem with a Warlock to play a Warlock as a main class for me is the fact that every spell that you take has to be cast at the highest level. That irritates the piss out of me because I don't want to only have one level of spells because you only get so many spell slots. Like, even though they reset at a short rest, you get into combat, you're stuck with cantrips, right? Like, Eldritch Blast is, is great, but that puts me too much in the barbarian mindset. Raged, smash. Raged, smash. And as a warlock who's stuck down to cantrips, it's like Eldritch Blast, boom, Eldritch Blast, boom. Like, no... I don't, I don't like that, but uh, if you multi-class it, you can pull the the armor that a uh, warlock is able to wear that a sorcerer is. It that's great to be able to have that extra little boost and to have spells that reset on you know um, short rest, but also you get the benefit of being able to apply your sorcery points to your warlock spells and do things like quicken spell some eldritch blast. Yeah, yeah. I always looked at warlock. Um, I know everyone makes the comparison to like barbarians and stuff. I always looked at it like, uh, like a dude who's got a gun. You know, like he's he's got he's got his gun and he's just firing it constantly. He's not because you know barbarians are running in, whereas the Eldritch Blast most of the time you're trying to stand back and like mm -hmm. you're trying to you're like uh, what's what's that called? It's like a support player without actually being a healer. You know. I love warlocks and I think they've got some really good subclasses. Um, I really like uh, the Fathomless. I love the Fathomless. Like, that's, I think, my favorite Warlock subclass. But I've also built a really good healing um, Sorlock 
out of using the celestial patron from the warlock and divine soul from sorcerer those work really really well together because they're both like it's like cleric light right like without having to you know do the hands down this is a person of religion you're kind of able to um work around it as some other deity things of the sort i don't know i, I really like that combination and then i like sorcerers so i don't know if i'd call it Works cleric out well. light. you get all those sorcerer points and stuff clerics don't get that stuff i think clerics are, well um, are i say cleric love. light because the reason i say cleric light is because you don't get all of the healing spells the same way like clerics do because you know you can build a cleric that has solely healing spells and that's the, the reason I say cleric light on that that particular sorlock build is you you do get access to some cleric spells but not in the capacity that clerics do so you're able to heal but a lot of your heals in that build come from um, the class features that you get with that subclass actually oh yeah I don't know I'd have to say I'll send you the character sheet so you can look it over sometime and um, see you know you can check it out see what I mean by I mean, we were saying like uh, sorcerer warlock combos are OP. I think in general, just clerics by themselves are OP. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, peace cleric, the most broken in the game, hands down. Sure no in my dies. opinion, peace clerics don't even just make sure nobody dies, but they have some insane combat buffs and things of the sort, like. That subclass in general, I think, is one of the most OP in the whole game. Absolutely just insane. Absolutely insane. But I like it. Like, it's a good... Uh, I like clerics. I never played one, but I think that they're cool. I've, I've only played, really honestly, a handful of classes, and that's just because <clears throat> I'm not... I don't like to heal or roll. It's not my jam. I try to stay in DPS. I don't like to tank, and I don't like to heal. I like to be somewhere in support or DPS. That's kind of my middle ground sweet spot. Yeah, uh, I like I like playing a lot of different classes. It it really depends on my mood. Um, I don't I don't have like a specific like Bard will always hands down be my favorite class. But apart from that, I you know it's just my mood. And am I playing a long game? Am I playing? multiple games with this group am i doing a one shot it all it all goes with my mood um so i can't say i'm one of those kind of players sorry our baby just walked up hello sir um but yeah uh back to what i was saying before about uh freak what was i saying before i was saying the dm oh because you guys got the the group right that plays all the time. How do you how do you handle uh, take twenties if you're like me and you don't really go by the rules a whole lot and you use more of it as a guideline? Um, mm -hmm. My hardest thing with that is the taking twenties. Like people, I try to make it so the role playing is heavier and like after they fail twice and like you guys just can't you can't do it. Like figure something else out. Stop trying to do the same thing. Stop it. Um, do you do the same thing, something similar? Yeah, so <clears throat> I we don't really have a lot of that. Like some usually about 
they're pretty good at self-governing, I suppose, in 30 people at the same time not wanting to do the same thing. If one person fails, usually I'll let another person do it, but I've never had to say, no, no, you're not doing that. You're not rolling it 30 times out because usually somewhere in the first two, maybe three rolls, they, they either succeed or realize that they failed miserably and they're not doing it. Or I only let like the one person who initially asked to do the thing roll. Okay. Yeah, because like I had a problem with the take twenty one of my first games. I had a lot of problems in this one. This first game, it's one of the first games I played with Steve, my um, my player who's been in both seasons. Uh, <laughs> the first time I played with him, I had a group of like nine people, <laughs> which already bad idea for a new. Uh, That's idea. a massive dude. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of the, two of the party members, you know, they all split up obviously because. It's not hard enough DMing nine people in the same spot. They all have to go in different areas. So, of course, you know, that had to happen right away. <laughs> and two of the players got stuck in a hole, um, which they could have easily gotten out of if they had tried different things. But they just kept trying the same thing over and over. And I'm like, I eventually just gave it to them because it's like, fine, take the 20. You're in there for like two hours before you eventually can do the thing you're doing. I'm going to get back to the other freaking eight people, <laughs> you know, like, uh, so that's always been a, a bit of an ordeal here and there with take 20s. It, it kills me because, um, some DMs are super cool with it and like not, not hating on anyone. Everyone, ha- I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum, you know? Um, but, yeah. but like, wh- why did uh, see, I I can't understand. There's some demons, I guess, that don't like role playing or just or whatever to it, because they just mm-hmm. give everyone the take twenty all the time. And it's like, come on, like this person failed. Okay, so now I'm gonna try. Why would your character try that if you just watched your buddy fail and you don't have the same stats as him? And in the world of D and D, you don't you can't even see your own stats. Like you're just a person, you know, role playing your character. Why would you be like, oh, look at my really buff friend who tried to move the boulder. Oh, he failed. Let me go try. Like, what sense does that make? You're a small little wizard. <laughs> like, Yeah. <clears throat> uh, stuff like that annoys me. Like, everyone, like it just goes in a row. Okay, I failed. So next person. Okay, I failed. Let me, next person. Uh, uh, stop. Stop it. <laughs> no, see, like. It's more of like, uh, I usually just say like, okay, we're going to make a group check or... Um, yeah, you get the, the pluses from having someone help, you know. Yeah, like you can have advantage from having a friend assist or if somebody wants to give a guidance, but we really don't have that like... We don't have crit fishing and we don't have that like 20 hunting, I guess. You know what I mean? Like we don't have players at our table at the tables that I have of my own because I'm not a combat again I'm not a combat heavy DM so I I guess I don't draw that kind of power gaming um like sort of mentality Mm -hmm. and so I really just I I I can't say enough how much I make it very very clear that combat is not my like main specialty and the people that usually um want those take 20s are the same kind of people that power game min max um want heavy meat grinder combat because they're chasing the xp things like that like those 
type of people tend to be the same type of players. So I don't really attract that with my very blatant and upfront disdain for heavy combat. Okay, I got you. Yeah, I usually found, like, I found the best way for me to handle a situation like that, so that way I don't, like, even if I have a group of players that are like that, I I made it, like, I don't know if it's a home rule or if it's um, an actual... Like a house rule. rule? Yeah, I have to check, because I know there is a rule for it, but I have to check on what the official rule is, but every time someone wants to assist, I just say, okay, when you do your roll, add however many, add one for each person that's assisting you. And that's your group role. You know, like, I don't give them advantage because um, then they feel gypped out if they got two ones, for instance. Like, oh, it looks like you bad luck. Like, even if they roll a one, they got the assist from their buddy, so they got, you know, the plus one regardless. Uh, That's that's the way I was handling that. And then (laughs) I I have this other home rule, um, house rule, that... (laughs) kind of screwed the the actual players um like the current players that i have because i give it to them anything that i give to the players i have to give to their enemies or the bad guys or whatever you yeah want that's yeah that's <laughs> fair right like if you can do it so can the bad guys because you're not you're not at level one you're not special in the world nobody even knows who the heck you are so what makes you think if you can cast fireball two times in a row that an enemy could not return that same fire so that's fantastic i'm all for that (laughs) so so i have this house rule where uh you you roll so you're in combat you roll a crit um it uh you know crits are automatic hits or whatever in the rule book i take it a little step further i found this on a um a different podcast i used to listen to where you roll again with on top of your crit and if you hit or crit again like every time you crit you keep rolling you just keep rolling keep rolling you just keep adding damage um because you get max damage so when you roll a crit with me you get max damage plus whatever you roll so you're still rolling for damage but then you're also rolling the d20 again and if you hit you're rolling damage again so you know damage can stack up real quick and you can like do some superhuman like i can take down a dragon in one hit kind of thing but if the dragon crits, he can wipe the whole party, like just by saying hello. <laughs> so <laughs> it makes it makes stuff interesting. Do you have any home rules that are like super silly like that? I I do actually. So we do um, something similar, but not quite. So if you roll a nat twenty in combat, because there's no critical pass or fail on a skill check. So in combat, if you roll a nat twenty. I give the players the opportunity to roll a d20 again to see if they can crit again. If they if they crit again, we call it uh, just an auto kill, one hit kill. Like okay. that hit was tough enough to kill, and that's it. Um, so that's how I do like a critical thing. I also have a system for nat ones. Oh no, you do critical <laughs> I do. Because if you can critically pass something, you can critically fail oh, it as well. Sure, we sure, don't do sure. we don't do a critical pass or fail on a skill check or a save or anything like that, but we do in combat. So if you roll a nat one at my table, then in return they always start chuckling because they know what comes after. Then they get to roll me a D ten. And depending on where they land on the D10 is the severity of how bad they fucked up, right? So I have this deck of cards, and it is a critical fail deck. 
okay? So some of the things are just like, you um, you did something awkward. You did something silly. That's at like the high end. Uh, so if you roll like a seven, an eight, or a nine, then maybe you just embarrassed yourself when you were shooting. You tripped over your own foot and you shot the wall, something like that. If you roll in the middle, then you start to get into the little more severe consequences where you could have broken your weapon. You could have misfired um, instead of hitting an enemy you could have hit a friend and then you get into like the lower roles and then you get into stuff that's on the severe end of a critical fail where you hurt somebody in your party or you end up hurting yourself and it's hilarious like the cards crack me up I'll actually let me pull one I'll pull a couple out and I'll read them to you you'll have a giggle at them and each of the cards um, <clears throat> have different things whether it was a ranged attack a melee attack um, if it was magic or if it was, um, like, meant to be an AOE. So, like, they say at the top of the card, whether it's awkward, whether it's embarrassing, whether it's disgraceful or shameful, things like that. Like, what kind of thing it is. And so, I'll pull a card based on what they roll. And so, like, say if they pulled this one, if it was uh, a melee weapon attack, it, it would be... Um, if this attack was made with a two-handed weapon, you hurt your back and have disadvantage on all strength athletics checks until you finish a short rest. Um, if you use, like, a ranged weapon like your bow or your crossbow, your next attack deals minimum damage. If you use hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat, then your AC is reduced by 1d6 for 1d4 rounds. And then if you cast a spell, then you have to reroll the attack against the, an ally within 10 feet of the target. <laughs> That's so and <laughs> my favorite my favorite part of it right is my best friend plays D&D with us um, she's the one that actually introduced me to D&D &D. and she bought me these cards as like a DMing gift the first time I opened the cards and broke them out at a table she rolled the first nat one at the table that got to use the critical fail deck that she bought for me so I thought that was irony at its finest that yeah, so sorry about that. I messed up and um, something booted me out of everything. But I'm back. Okay. okay. So I'm sorry. I, I I missed what you were saying. I was talking about, um, I think the last thing I said was you make memories with your friends and all that. Yeah. Okay. So what were you saying? I was just saying, like, it's a it's a good um, way to keep combat entertaining, right? Because whenever you have combat, you know, I do usually, like, one-to-one. -one. So if I have six people in the party, I have six, you know, gophers or skeletons or whatever it is in the mob. Unless it's, like, a big, big bad fight or something like that. So it'll be just, like, six... Um, lower level creatures or something like that so it's like you know six players in a party is a it's long rounds anyways right because you have a lot of people doing a lot of things so in order for you know to keep combat somewhat entertaining i really like that critical fail deck and i just found out that that same company has um critical success decks like critical hit decks and i want to get i'm going to get that too for my nat 20 system because i think that'd be pretty fun to do instead of just like the 220s do like the same similar thing but yeah that's what i was just cool. saying it uh, keeps combat entertaining do a big hint hint you know whatever the what whatever the company's name is and be like hey uh sponsor her channel 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, by the way, uh, free deck. My players. <laughs> yeah, my my players love this other deck so much. Sponsor us and give us the other ones too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um. So then that mean uh, brings me to my next point is. Um, how do you do leveling as a DM? I I do leveling based on uh, milestone. I don't really do the whole XP thing because I try to incorporate as much role playing as possible. And also, mm-hmm. I like to keep the game challenging. Like people always think of D and D like, oh, you're a god at level nine, like blah blah blah. Like yeah, I get it, but like the game goes up to level thirty, fool. Like jump off. Uh, I want to make the game challenging and fun. Like, (laughs) my players have already died. Let me see. My healers died twice, I think. But, like, not died, died. But, like, died. You know, they went down and unconscious and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Yeah. Olga and Steve both died completely. So that was an interesting thing that we had to do in session session one, I think. They died. (laughs) So that was fun. (laughs) Um... But it, to me, that's what makes D&D better, I guess. Uh, because it's like, who wants to... I know, and I know there are people, again, not yucking anyone, Jim. But if you're just playing a game and running through everything, like, what's the point? Like, the whole murder hobo, I'm overpowered. Why? What, what fun are you having? Other than, like, hanging out, BSing with your friends... I get that. Uh, I'd rather do that kind of game in person, have a bunch of drinks, and everyone just, like, laughing and doing stupid stuff and, like, running a mo- murder hobo campaign. But, like, if I'm trying to run a real campaign, like, what what are you doing? So right. How do, how do you handle leveling? I, okay, so nine times out of ten, I'm a milestone DM. Um, and there's, re- there's multiple reasons for that. Because, one, as a player, I prefer to level milestone than XP. Um, I feel like as a player, it puts you in a mindset of grinding for XP and pushing you towards becoming a murder hobo and um, away from your original play style. If you know the only way for you to level your character is by XP, so you want to kill literally everything because staying at levels in the low end sucks, right? I've played in campaigns that were like that where it pushed me to play a um a healing character that wanted to kill a lot of things to gain xp and i didn't uh i didn't like feeling like that as a player so whenever i do things as a dm i think of it like what would i want as a player and i've learned that most people dm the games the way that they want to play them right Mm -hmm. so i tend to stick with the milestone and when i'm writing my campaigns i don't do full modules I will use modules as a supplement to like my own homebrew. So like when I'm writing a campaign, I write level mile, uh, level leveling milestones into the campaign. So once they hit certain spots, when we hit my notes, I'm like, okay, you guys level up this time. Right? Like I have, um, at Heroes and Hooligans, there are other DMs on the channel. I have Jason and Alex, which are my counterparts. We started Heroes and Hooligans together. Alex DMs, um, some more dungeon crawl style games. And we played Rapanathuk for over a year. Rapanathuk is an old, I think, 1E um, D&D dungeon that has been revised by Frog God Games 
uh, multiple times to where it is now a 5e supplement That's awesome. that game is um it's like a 600 and something page book it's literally massive and mm-hmm. in that book is a graveyard um four players right like it, there's pages in the book for the dm to write the names of the characters that die it is a very combat heavy game you can walk into a room in that game and just die because that's how the book is written that game is an xp based game <clears throat> that game is a game for murder hobos to play it's not something you could run on milestone at all so if i was running something like that then i would run xp but if it's any of my stuff, then I'm a milestone person because it just makes more sense story-wise to take a level after achieving something big rather than you did several big things, but you didn't fight enough fucking little tiny guys to grind all of that XP to get to the next level. I think that's silly, and I think it also kind of um, makes players discouraged um, the one thing I will say about playing in Rapanathuk is that is something that discouraged people. And we, we had such a high turnover rate for that particular game. Player-wise, not even just characters. In the first three months of that game, I want to say the entire party rolled over other than myself. Um, I played from start to finish of that game. I was the only player from session zero till the ending session of that game that was there. Um, we we rolled the party over, I want to say, four times in the first three months of that game because XP kept us at low levels because in that dungeon, you die a lot. I played in the year that we played that, I say I probably had 12 characters. 12 wow. through that dungeon. And the highest level we got was level eight. And we pretty much after a year called it quits because we had started it over so many times that there were basically no new starting points and information had gotten so jumbled that it was like, is this something my current character knows or is it something that my past character knows? I, you, you couldn't remember anymore. So in a game like that, I say XP is totally acceptable, but I also see where it's, a, it's, um, feels, sort of discouraging and demeaning towards players because you feel stuck. Um, but in like any of my style games, like my homebrew stuff and my, my regular games that don't have combat written into them, ones that I build the combat for myself, I do milestone. Yeah, personally. same here. Same here. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty freaking awesome. I gotta say, like you guys, uh, I honestly we would love to play with all you DMs. Um, because I love figuring out new people's playstyles. I, as a player, because I get so frustrated and have had so many frustrating moments as a DM, I can literally put myself into any game with any DM and just I I know better. You know, I know to keep my fucking mouth shut and not tell right. them how to DM. <laughs> right. Um, like when you when you play on both sides of the screen, it totally changes your perspective. Um, at the table, right? Like, if you've never been a DM, then you don't understand as a player what it takes for somebody to write a game that is played monthly, let alone something that's played bi-weekly or every week. You don't understand what goes into it, 
how much extra work and effort they take out of their real life to do it and things of the sort. And if you're somebody who's never been a player because there are DMs in the community that have literally never played a single game as a player. If you've never been a player, then you don't know the joy that comes from role-playing and party um, dynamic building and killing stuff like and doing, you know, hood rat shit with your friends, you don't understand that joy because you're consistently on the other side of the screen. I think everybody should DM as a player. I think everybody should at least DM one game in their life, in their in their tabletop role-playing game career, however long that you play. Everybody should at least DM one game. And I think every DM that's never played should at least play one game because everybody needs to see what it's like to be on both sides of the screen because that goes back to the DM is human and the DM versus player sort of mindset. Like, oh yeah, we're all playing together. We're at, we're at the same. We're all friends, right? Like, usually as a DM, you're friends with your party members. So it's like we're all friends at the table. So like we're all friends coming together to collectively tell the same story. And I think it's very important for people to understand both sides of the coin to make the story come together as a whole without having those kind of hiccups of people fishing for crits or the take 20 and things like that. Like once you've been in both places, then you're less apt to want to power game and less apt to want to min max as a player and less apt to not take time to um, interact with parts of the world. Because as a DM, I'm sure you understand that everything be, we prepare things, but expect that the party is going to interact with nothing that we prepared, and they're going to do the exact opposite of what you think they're going to do. Every right? Time. So, you know you build, when you build worlds, you build stores and NPCs and items and towns, and maybe you put this fishing village together that has... Um, this library and in the library in the fishing village is this record book that holds all of the records for every fish that's ever been caught out of the lake at the fishing village. And there's like a tournament that they could get into if they go into the library and they don't even, they don't even look in the direction of the library. So all of that <laughs> prep for that is gone. Right. Like the, I think it's important. Funny is, uh, so last game, right. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, last mm -hmm. game, the players, I, because I, I do my best not to railroad. Um, and I'm so I'm adding Curse of Strahd, which is basically a railroad, to uh, <laughs> to my uh, homebrew campaign to just add a little flavor. <laughs> but <laughs> because I'm not trying to railroad them too hard, I, you know, I let the group decide how they're doing everything. And they actually went so far off the rails on the paths like on the quote unquote roads that were there that I created a city out of thin air and, and just like everything in the, sh like all of it was by the, the seat of my pants, basically Every, like the whole place they're in, everything that's going on. And I'm just like, what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> but, Cause like I had street signs and stuff to help them guide them where they needed to go, but they weren't paying attention. <laughs> Yeah, you just role play yourself so far into a hole that you're like, well, no going back now. Here's a whole new piece of campaign. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. They had, yeah. They had the people behind. Uh, so they ended up at a at an inn. and Because, again, I was just making it up as we were playing. I had none of this prepared because all the stuff I had prepared, 
they should have done the session before even the session they were playing in. So, like, we were so far behind. <laughs> I was just waiting for them to get to the spot. They got to an inn, and the two people behind the, the counter, you know, taking the money so they can go to sleep, were basically a ripoff of Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> Cause I, was, I read something on on uh, the social medias the other day that said something along the lines of being a DM is basically taking all of your favorite uh, anime video games and pop culture TV shows and making a campaign for your friends to play out of it. Yeah, pretty much. He mentioned somewhere uh, something about Attack on Titan, so I think he might have just screwed everyone over. I must confess I've never watched Attack on Titan. Uh, basically, it's about a bunch of humans that are trying to survive, and there's these massive skyscraper-sized beings that eat humans walking around on the Earth mm -hmm. that have destroyed basically all of humanity. And, yeah, they're pretty much indestructible, except for, like, one little Achilles heel on the back of their neck. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. That would be insane to battle. Yeah. And And I will say, like... When it comes to homebrew stuff, right, like, there are so many homebrew conversions into D&D. &D. Like, if you go into D&D &D Beyond, for example, and you go into, like, the homebrew section, and you, if you were to type in whatever those big machines are called from Attack on Titan in the homebrew section, you're probably going to find 50-plus different versions of it in conversion into D&D &D, like with what it does stats and things like that and it's crazy to see like the different ways of how somebody stats out the same monster like somebody might put it as a huge monstrosity they might make it as a construct they might make it as like a living creature they might you know it's just it's crazy right to see so many people like the same thing that they want to take it from one setting to another, but the different take on how everybody builds that oh, yeah, same thing. Awesome. But at the same time, it's like you really have to, if you're adding other people's homebrew creations into your own campaigns and things, you really have to scour through what the um, creatures can do because some of that stuff is freaking broken. Like, some of it is so broken. Like, some of the spells, homebrew spells, some oh, of homebrew monsters, some of the homebrew races, broken. For sure. I understand that. And I, honestly, I know I fly by the seat of my pants a lot, you know, uh, especially because I don't use a lot of the rules. Um, you would think that I use a lot of uh, homebrew stuff and a lot of D&D Beyond stuff. I honestly don't. I'm a, a big, big fan of reskinning. So I will take anything that I want in the world. Uh, take, uh, let's say, you know, like uh, I want to, I want to do that Attack on Titan thing. Um, I will think of like a CR rating, and I'll just go through the actual monsters that have been released, and just like literally pick one that's kind of close, reskin it, change the attack names and like the damage types, and then boom, I have the monster that I want. Uh, I, I base everything off of my ideal CR rating, and then I just reskin it. I do that with everything, with magic items, with even magic spells. Like, someone wants to do something freaking awesome, cool magic spell, like, and they don't have an actual spell on what it does, 
All right, let me uh, let me try to reskin something for you that does something similar to what you want. Um, how are you yeah. about that in D in your DMing style? Flavor costs those. nothing. Flavor costs nothing. So I'm all for um, taking things and making them look like something they're not without breaking the game, right? Because even though I'm a very role play heavy person, there are still mechanics and there are still numbers written into the game. So even if I don't follow the rules, there still has to be some sort of threshold that you say, okay, yes, this is good or no, it's not. So uh, it's flavor costs nothing so if, a, if two players in my party have the same spell so two players have the spell warding wind for example and one of the players uses the warding wind directly as it's written as it's a screaming wind that you know pushes things back and knocks shit out if it needs to um you know it does that and then the other player says i would also like to take this spell but in order to avoid redundancy, I would like to flavor it as, you know, my character is a flying character. So when I launch off the ground, it's like this rocket rippling wind that comes from my wings and it does maybe um, a different sort of damage. So instead of whatever the original spell is, I think it's force damage that it does bludgeoning damage because they're getting punched with this, you know, rocket expulsion from my flappy flap wings as I take off. I'm all for it. I would much rather reskin something than try to rewrite something. And then by rewriting something, it's got totally broken mechanics that don't fit in properly with the rest of the game, right? Oh, for sure. Uh, I will say I have dabbled in that, though. Like, for instance, Meg's character, she's playing a cleric. Um, mm -hmm. And she's actually playing a cleric that is of my own creation. She's not playing anything that's in the books. So I wrote, you know, I created, I used to write characters for everything. Like, I, I used to be, like, super into, like, making everything. And so I made all the classes. And um, so she's playing one of my clerics that I used to have. And actually, her fiancé, Chris, is actually playing a homebrew barbarian that I made. Um, but they're, they're kind of, like, reskinned, except, you know, I took the basics of many different of the cleric castes, classes and I uh, I was like, alright, this is this is what they do, this is what these classes do, so I'm gonna pick and choose stuff from each of these and then add, okay, so so this is the background for this cleric, alright, so these are the spells they get, kind of thing. Um, but I, I really base everything off of legal like book stuff, so that way it's not too broken. I have um, a subclass that I have created very similarly so, but it is for um, druids. And <clears throat> it is the Circle of Ganja. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So I won't delve too deep into that, but you, you, get the, you get the concept, right? So basically I just took a um, druid class. I copied the... Um, I copied everything down, right? And I edited it to be fitting towards what I wanted the subclass to do with like the names and things like that. And instead of good berries, they had, uh, you know, healing uh, leaves, right? Instead of berries, they had leaves, you know, something along those lines. So no, I, I totally have rewritten them. I just, uh, I mean, they got the mushroom when it one, comes so why to not, right? <laughs> right, right. I'd rather have 
um, I'd rather reskin. And again, this comes from my D&D starting in Westmarch style servers, where um, I very quickly went from player and server member to admin and DM. And when you start adminning in those kind of servers, you kind of fall with the responsibility of training new DMs. And oftentimes you would get new DMs that are like, oh, I want to use Warhammer as D&D. Like, I want to bring Vermintide. And I'm like, okay, that's a great idea. Let's let's talk about Vermintide. How are we going to um, bring those little poisonous rat mouse people into the game? And what is it going to look like? Oh, I'm going to write an entirely brand new character uh, or a brand new monster card with all of these crazy things that it does. And none of these attacks or anything have saves and they can pretty much just kill characters, but you know, we're going to do it. And I'm just like, but why, why can't we re reskin something instead? <laughs> you know, like it, it comes from that sort yeah. of mind frame where you're just trying to teach DMS to not, um, barrage the players with, uh, a million different crazinesses. So I try to, uh, practice what I preach, right? If I don't want to see a bunch of new DMs um, homebrewing a bunch of shit while they're trying to learn, I'm going to try to not homebrew a bunch of crap while I'm trying to teach. Oh, for sure. At the same time. I, I but I do enjoy doing it. I do. I have stuff that I have, like um, we did an Avatar uh, Last Airbender style um, elemental bending campaign, and I went through and homebrewed the moves and the level up schedule for that to incorporate the original styles of what the moves are called and how long it takes them to learn it and translate it over to D and D and the leveling schedule for all of that. Like I did go through and build all of that as a co DM for a campaign, not even the main DM. So, I mean, I've done it. I just prefer not to because I don't want my hobby to become a job, even though D and D is my full time job. Which that makes again, any freaking sense. Awesome. Like, I wish I could quit my job and just play D&D. I'm sounds... fortunate in the, in the fact, right? Like, my um, my husband is a trooper and is the reason that I'm able to do such. Like, he he handles the business, and I look pretty on the side. So I'm lucky to have a partner that makes it a me able to do that, but not, you know, again, in the same light as not everybody has the money of Matt Mercer to start a podcast not everybody in the world has the supportive partner to allow them to take their hobby and turn it into, you know, a job. Yeah, I hear that. All right, so um, I think I'm going to cut it right now because i got to go check on my kids. They got awful quiet. That sounds great. Um, Thank you so much for joining. Uh, You're always welcome to join the actual games. um, And all of your players, all of your DMs from your channel are also welcome to join my games. And they are also welcome sure. if they want to do interviews. Just have them hit me up anytime on Twitter. Absolutely. Um, I'm, again, I'm sorry more of my players can join. Uh, they were okay. busy today. We usually play on Fridays, so Saturdays is rough for them. Yeah. And uh, Olga is my... Um, Olga works for me at Heroes of Hooligans. She does all of our character art. Um, we exclusively have her as our commissioned artist for any art that's not like graphics and things of the sort. So all of that stuff comes from her and I know her time schedule is a little, is a little different. So daytime stuff is kind of, yeah, evening time. My time stuff is like her sleep time. So I totally get it. 
just to so take thanks naps for having me. It was really great. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed. And um, feel free to hit me up anytime. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I'll see you guys later.